Well, howdy, neighbor. So it occurs to me that the last time I stood here with this many people in the pews was before I was pastor at GPC. That's how long it's been. I preached one sermon in here um, after the congregation had elected me as pastor, but before I'd gone before the Presbytery. And that's 10 coming up on 11 months ago. Uh, so it really is good to, to look and to see some of you, and there are others in the, the gym. I just popped over at the gym and took a look there and was able to wave at a few people. Uh, it is good to see you. Howdy, neighbor. So we're looking to Scripture and have been for a number of weeks, and I'm happy to do this eyeball to eyeball, face to face, half of your face to half of my face, and to talk very seriously about what it means to be the church, what it means to be the church according to Scripture, not according to gut instinct, not according to past experience, not according to tradition, but looking to Scripture to see who are these people that God calls the church and what are they supposed to do? What is their character? What is their nature? What is their likeness supposed to be in the earth? And what is their destiny? What is their outcome? What will come of these people? These are all the kinds of questions that we are now getting into the nitty-gritty, and we've timed it in such a way as to be able to look at each other as we look at these things. And this morning, we have another parable of Jesus from Luke chapter 10. And here we will have Jesus speak to the very character and nature, the heart of kingdom people. And there's good news here. But not before you hear some bad news. Bad news always precedes good news in the gospel. And you'll see that that's true. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, probably a familiar parable, but listen with new ears. May God give you new ears to hear His Word. On one occasion, an expert in the law, a scribe, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, 
passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray for understanding, for eyes and ears to hear. Lord, would You, by Your Spirit, show us the way of the kingdom, the heart of the King, the nature of our Heavenly Father, and what it means to be the church. And though bad neighbors, would You show us good news? We ask this and pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So it was Robert Frost who had that quote that says, good fences make good neighbors. Good fences make good neighbors. Uh, There's a reason why he said that. There's a reason why if you visited my home, uh, and, and if you do visit my home, which I hope that you will, that when you pull up the driveway, you will at first be a little shocked by this towering wall of a fence on the right side of the driveway. I'll have you know that was because of a dispute between the previous owner of my home and our neighbor who no longer wanted to look and see the mess in the backyard. And so he put in a 10 or 12 foot foot wall. Fences and neighbors, there's a relationship between them Neighboring is actually very hard to do. And some of you may be good neighbors, but you need to hear with careful ears what Jesus is saying about us all. So, with that said, I'll go first. It was a couple of years ago. I suppose I was having a bad day. And I found my way into the Dollar General store in Due West. As I walked in, I guess I'd had a bad day, or maybe this is just who I am. But as I was in the store, a gentleman walked in, and you can't see my face, and I didn't think of that as I prepared this week for this illustration, but he came in all smiley and happy and cheery, And he spoke to everybody he encountered. Howdy, neighbor. How are you doing? Good to see you. And that obnoxious, happy, smiley person looked at me and did the same thing. Howdy, neighbor. How are you? Good to see you. 
I didn't know this man, and already I didn't like him. <laughs> Fast forward just a few weeks later. You've heard a little bit of this story before, and I'll refer to it from time to time, milking it for all that it's worth. I had been working on several sermons. I got up quickly from my seat and was walking down the hallway of our house with a computer in my hands, a laptop, and all of a sudden I blacked out. I passed out. I fell right outside of my daughter's room, face first, on my chin. I woke up seconds later, hours later, to add <laughs> drama to the story. I woke up in a, a puddle of blood. <laughs> it was probably just a little bit of blood. And, and I was told to roll over. My daughter, when she heard me hit the floor, called 911. And on the phone, they said, turn him over, don't let him move. And so I was on my back for not very long until the EMTs came to my aid and walked into my house. And I looked up and he said, howdy, neighbor, <laughs> with this big cheery smile that I had seen in the dollar store just a few weeks ago. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> My perception of him changed a great deal as he did all the things to make sure I was okay, and I was okay. And I tell you that story, number one, because that's who I am. Number two, in some way, that's who you are also, right? Some of you are nicer than others. Some of you are more generous than others. But at the end of the sermon this morning, I want you to see there is one true neighbor, one true good neighbor, one true great neighbor. And if you think you're a good neighbor, let's see what Jesus has to say First, Jesus is teaching about the character and the nature of the heart of his people. And we get to the good news only through going through the bad news. And so the story, the, the story of the narrative between the two, Jesus and the scribe, and then the parable that has four characters in it, we're going to work our way through this for a few minutes this morning. Five points this morning. Number one, the one who asked a question. The scribe. That is a lawyer. They would be called a lawyer, but it's really an um, expert in biblical law. Somebody who knew the Bible, the Old Testament. Somebody who knew the particulars inside and out. And this person has interrupted Jesus as Jesus is teaching the 72 that he sent out to do ministry. It wasn't uncommon for the religious elite to come and to hear Jesus, and at every turn, they're not coming in the posture of discipleship. They're coming to try to catch Jesus in a violation of the law, of the Word, so they can end his ministry. That's the motive that's going on here. And so the scribe or the lawyer, the expert in biblical law, approaches Jesus and he asks a question. He asks the ultimate question and he's attempting to test 
or trap Jesus is what Luke says. And Jesus, the rabbi, has an interesting response. Like a rabbi, he answers a question with a question. And he answers a question that would be a softball pitch to the scribe. He asks him, what does the law say? Well, he's an expert in the law. And the scribe answers exactly, precisely right with the words of Scripture. What he does is he quotes the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6 in the Old Testament. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. That is, God's people, the church, are to love God with every fabric of our being. It's true. It's what the law says. But they're also to love their neighbor as much as they love themselves. That's true. And so the expert in the law is precisely right. He gets the words of the answer precisely right. But the man follows up with Jesus and says, well, actually, Jesus says to him before this, Jesus says, do this and you'll live. Obey the law. You'll live. Now, don't hear that as good news in your ability to keep the Shema. Right? If you're like, oh, thank goodness. A matter of eternal life is just loving the Lord our God with every fiber of my being and my neighbor as myself. Whew, I made it in. Right? No. No, 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 no. When Jesus says, do this and you will live, the soul-searching person realizes the dilemma that we're in. Who can love God like that? Who can love their neighbor like that. And so the teacher, the expert in the law says, well, 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 who's my neighbor? And Luke goes out of his way to say that this was in an effort to justify himself. Self-justification. Trying to prove himself. He asked Jesus another question. Well, well, who's my neighbor? Give me a little bit more so that I can feel confident about myself. And to that, Jesus tells a parable. First, he answered a question with a question. Now he answers question number two with a story, which is pretty fascinating. And again, a parable, if you've been with us, if you've not been with us, a parable is simply the laying down of something ordinarily experienced and then the throwing alongside of it a spiritual truth. And that's exactly what Jesus does here as he tells a parable about the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. A road that was about 15, 17 miles long. And it was so known for violence that it was called the bloody road. The bloody way. That's what it was referred to. So Jesus uses that setting to tell the story that He did. And there are four characters in the story that He tells. The parable. And we'll take each of those and consider what they're teaching us. Number one. We start with a man in a ditch. A man in a ditch. Jesus says in His parable that this man has been stripped of his clothes. He has been beaten half dead. 
He's unconscious, unconscious apparently, in the ditch. He's been robbed by bandits. And he is in the worst estate possible. So that's the man in the ditch. And you need to, you need to picture that. A victim. Somebody who has been brutally beaten. But what's important to note as the story will progress is he's been stripped of his clothes. Which would mean in this context, he has no identity markers. It's a body in a ditch. Is it a rich man? Is it a poor man? Is it a priestly man? It's just a body, probably only with undergarments on. And so we have this vague and ambiguous character in a ditch. All we know is that it's a human being. That's all we know. But according to Jesus, that's all that would matter. It didn't matter how prestigious the man in the ditch was or was not. What matters is that it was a human being, a victim in need of help. Now you think through that and apply that because that same truth is true for us. Human life matters to Jesus. That's all that matters. People created in the image of God matter to Jesus. That's the first character in the parable. The second is the first to pass by. The first to pass by. This is the priest. And the priest, you need to understand, was a part of the upper echelon of the spiritual class, the religious class of Israel. They were responsible for the serious aspects of worship. The sacrificial, ceremonial duties in worship. And this priest is coming from Jerusalem. He's probably just performed his season of duty at the place that matters most. And he's left worship on his way down Bloody Road to go to Jericho. That's who he is. Now what happens? Jesus says, as this priest, the upper echelon, the religious elite, as he approaches, he sees the man on the ditch. He comes near him and he goes on the opposite side of the road. He passes him by. The most religious, the elite, passes a victim, a human being, by. He came near. He saw. He passed by. Now, maybe the priest is being safe. It's a dangerous road. Priests Maybe they're not uh, good with their hands to practice self-defense. Maybe he feels that he could be the next victim. There's people, there's robbers hidden all over the place. It, it just would not be safe to stop, he could conclude. Sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Or maybe he's tired from his duties and from his long journey and, and he just wants to get home. Have you ever felt that way? Yeah, I've just, it's been a long day. I'm headed home, not to be interrupted. Maybe that's what's going on here. Very practical reasons to pass him by. Oh, but maybe there's spiritual reasons too. Because you remember what the Old Testament and the law, and the scribes certainly would have known this, what it said about touching corpses and touching blood. Those things made you ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. 
So maybe he's got spiritual reasons to pass by. Whether practical or spiritual excuses, Jesus does not let him off the hook. At the end of the story, this man is guilty of passing by and not doing what is just, right, and merciful. Now, I'll stop and apply the obvious. <clears throat> well, remember what I said when I went into the Dollar General store. I had a bad day, right? It's okay to be, you know, harsh and mean and cold in your heart towards people if you've had a bad day, right? You're off the hook, right? Uh, it's when you have a good day that you have to be nice to people. Now, you see, you and I, and I know you're just like me, we will let ourselves off the hook. We've got excuses and reasons for why we can't do just and righteous and merciful things. Jesus models here that He doesn't let you off the hook. By the end of the parable, there is a standard of righteousness. And the most elite spiritual People, don't pass it. Don't pass it. Maybe on a good day they pass a test. But as a whole, we don't pass it. The next character in the story is also a religious character. It's the Levite. In verse 32, the Levite was a step below the priest. And the Levite was responsible for, we could say, assistant duties in worship. Right? They were responsible for aspects of music, uh, attending to the duties of worship, you could say. This is a religious person. This is a person of significance. And Jesus says the exact same words about him. He says that with the man in the ditch, the Levite came near, he saw, he passed by. The exact same response as the priest. Now, we could ask the same questions. Maybe the, pre, uh, the Levite is just being safe. Maybe he's being careful. Maybe, this is, maybe there's wisdom here. Uh, or maybe he too is trying to avoid being ceremonially unclean as one who leads worship. Maybe he's just too busy. Maybe he's just too tired. Whatever the excuse, Jesus will have nothing to do with it. He doesn't let the Levite off the hook at the end of the parable. Now, side note, <clears throat> for more application. In my humble experience, and in my regard of myself, I have found that those like the priest and the Levite who can be most concerned about the meticulous details of worship, of good reformed worship, can miss the heart of loving people. It's as if I, we, they can get so caught up in meticulous details that we miss the very heart of where God's heart is, which is in showing mercy, kindness, Love towards sinful people. Just think about that. Think about that. It's easy to miss the obvious when we're consumed with the meticulous. So we need to be careful. We just need to know that about ourselves. We need to be able to ask ourselves, are we missing the greater good sometimes 
when we're quibbling and quarreling about lesser things. That's a sermon to be preached in every presbytery, by the way. All right, fifthly, the one who showed mercy. The hero of the story, you could say. Now, someone that I listened to this week on this same passage opened my eyes to something, and it was simply this. As Jesus is telling this parable to the crowds and to the scribe, one would probably think that they could assume where he is going in the storytelling. You go from the priest to the Levite. Okay, the Israelites know what's going to be next. It's going to be the law-keeping Israelite. An Israelite male, a head of a household. Your, your layman, and he'll be the hero of the story as Jesus was speaking to Laman, right? Jesus throws a curveball. Here comes the left-handed power of God. You didn't see it coming. It surprises you. It's the way the kingdom always works. Jesus goes from priest to Levite, not to an Israelite, but to a Samaritan. The people the Israelites regarded at the bottom of the totem pole. The least of the least. The worst of the worst. Heretics who had abused and perverted the worship of God, they thought. And Jesus, with the left-handed power of God, makes the Samaritan the good guy. And you and I can hardly feel the weight of this. A friend of mine said uh, it would be the equivalent of, of saying for us that the third person, the hero of the story, was a terrorist. And we would be like, what? You can't make the terrorist the hero of the story. That's exactly what Jesus does. Samaritans were despised by the Jews. You've heard this when we looked at the woman at the well. Other instances in Scripture where there are references to the Samaritans. In John chapter 8, in trying to take a shot at Jesus, some of, some of His opponents say, what are you, a Samaritan? Questioning where he has come from. They despised the Samaritans. They were regarded as spiritual, heretical, half-breeds who perverted Israel's worship. If you want to read about their origin and, and the nature of how they came to be, you can look in 2 Kings chapter 17. That's where it all begins in Israel's history. As a matter of fact, in history, I looked for this prayer. I've heard that this exists and I couldn't find it. Somebody listening here, you can help me find it. But I'm told that a, a traditional Jewish prayer, a daily prayer, said something like this. Lord, give us today our daily bread. Meet the needs of Your people. And we pray that no Samaritans will be raised on the last day at the resurrection. Can you imagine praying such a thing about a human being? That is the level of tension between these people groups. And Jesus, with the left-handed power of God, makes Him the hero of the story. As it progresses, Jesus says that this man showed mercy. Unlike the two before Him, He came, He saw... He did not pass by. He pursued. He engaged. 
He touched. The passage says that He took oil and wine. His own oil and wine at His own expense. And with the wine, He used it as an antiseptic to treat the open wounds on the bruised and broken body. And with the oil, He used its healing medicinal purposes to treat and tend for those wounds. And then this good Samaritan would pick up, he would touch that body, and he would put it on his own donkey, and he would be the one to walk while the, while the wounded would ride on the donkey. And he would walk the rest of those miles, taking him to an inn. And it says that the next day he paid the denarii for service then and later, which means he spent the night with this man to care for his wounds overnight. He cared for him. He is all in to tend to this bruised and broken man. And then Jesus says to the scribe, who is the good neighbor? And the answer is fascinating. With all this background and context in mind, the scribe could not even utter the words, the Samaritan. He couldn't say, the Samaritan is the good neighbor. What does he say? He says, the one who showed mercy. Which is true. And he was a Samaritan, Jesus said. Jesus pronounced that the true neighbor, the good neighbor, the Samaritan, was the one who showed mercy. Now let me stop here because moms and dads have all kinds of questions and awkward feelings right now. Because like us, you're going to stop at the stoplight at CVS this week or at Walmart and you're going to see physical needs of people. And your child is going to ask, Hey, wait a minute, what are we supposed to do? And there's a tension there. And I'm not going to alleviate it for you. I will tell you this, which is very helpful to know, is that Greenwood Presbyterian Church has a relationship with Greater Greenwood United Ministries to tend to these real needs. That ministry is very helpful to us because they help discern the needs of the individuals who come to them to make sure they're not being taken advantage of, to make sure that money isn't being used improperly for reckless, harmful things. GPC commits a part of its tithes and its offerings, your tithes and offerings, to address these kinds of needs in the story. Okay, So you need to know that. But there is still some tension as you engage the world and its fallenness and people in the ditch. That's what I'm not going to pretend to be able to alleviate. Because I don't even know how to alleviate that myself. What is at the heart of this story is that Jesus says the good neighbor will give time, energy, attention, money, personal resources, to tend to other human beings in need and in crisis. 
Now remember what Jesus said to the scribe earlier on. He said, do this and you will live. And the scribe had rightly with words said what the law says. But Jesus tells a story to show what the law means. And the scribe hears that and surely shakes his head. With the same response probably that we've seen elsewhere in stories of of who then can be saved? Who can do this rightly all the time? And the answer to that is it's not us. It's not us. It's not me. It's not you. There is one true neighbor. There is one good neighbor. And his name is Jesus. Jesus tells this story along with all the stories that ultimately are pointing to our need and to his solution. So as we apply this parable at the conclusion of this and try to understand the big idea, I would say I believe it's this. It's at least this. We, you and I, are bad neighbors. We're bad neighbors. We may have our moments where we're decent neighbors, but as Jesus has defined it here, we're bad neighbors who do not truly embody the law as we pass people by. You need to connect with that. You need to resonate with that. We're also the people in the ditch. We're the ones who are naked of good works, filthy in our sin, and spiritually as good as dead, Ephesians chapter 2 says. We're the people in the ditch. Oh, but there is a good Samaritan. And his name is Jesus. Who comes, he sees, he draws near, he pours wine, which would be his own blood in the end, to heal our wounds. He bandages us up. He cares for us because he embodies the law perfectly. He is not just the good Samaritan. He's the great Samaritan who has come for sinful people. He did this so that we may live. We can't perfectly keep that law. We can't be those people as we're called to be in the law. We can't be let off the hook. But Jesus has come and He's poured out Himself and offered Himself for sinners. And so can you see this parable with new eyes? Can you have ears to hear that this is great news for bad neighbors? It's great news for bad neighbors. I'm a bad neighbor. You're a bad neighbor. But there's a great neighbor. And his name is Jesus. And he offered himself for you. Other verses we've heard this morning. We heard from Hosea chapter 6. The Lord said of his people to his people, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I don't care about your religious exercise, your external activity. I, I desire mercy. Hesed, kindness, loving kindness. That's what I want from my people, the Lord said through the prophet Hosea. In Micah 6, verse 8, 
He's shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of His church, of His people? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You see, the story, Old Testament and New, is the same. In the pastoral prayer, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Do you see where the heart and the character and nature of God is? It's not in our external perfunctory worship. It's in the heart and nature of the kind of people that we are. And we fail the test of religion, of true religion every time. But there is one who has passed it. And His name is Jesus. Now, in just a moment, we're going to have what we call special music. And we've not actually done this quite like this, I don't think. Um, but we're going to introduce a song that some of you will know. The lyrics will be displayed for you. <coughs> but it is a historic, traditional hymn from Fanny Crosby. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. But I want you, as we sing this, go ahead and in your mind, picture that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Picture yourself in that ditch, naked of good works, spiritually as good as dead. And there's a cry for help that the hymn resonates so beautifully. And we'll sing it several times in the stanzas, but the words are these. Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Because what set the Good Samaritan apart from the others? He didn't pass by on the other side of the road. And when we look in faith to the Lord Jesus, He does not pass us by. He comes, He tends, He cares, He loves His people. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we admit to You, we confess to You, we are bad neighbors. We're not neighbors like the Good Samaritan. and It's not in us because of sin to be able to perfectly keep that law. But Lord, we sing this morning and we rejoice this morning because You have approached us. You've tended to our wounds. You've healed us. And Lord, we sing praises because of Your kindness and Your goodness. Lord, we want to be good neighbors. We want to be better neighbors. And we're rightly called to grow and improve as neighbors. And we even pray for our neighbors that will be moving on Calhoun Road in the years ahead. Across from the YMCA, next to the YMCA. Lord, the neighbors are coming to us. So would you begin to work this kind of character and nature in your people that we would welcome them, love them, and see your kingdom grow. We ask this, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.